Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs. How you doing, Jeff? Good, man. How you doing? You know, I have to say, uh, your voice sounds very clear. Did you get a new phone? No, I didn't. I actually dropped it. Maybe that fixed it somehow. Oh, wow. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, I keep it right by uh, my bedside. And almost every morning, I reach for it to see what time it is because I don't have a clock in my room. And, uh, yeah, the other day I reached for it and just fucking heard that, like, horrific sound, you know, of your phone slamming into the ground. Do you got one of those fancy uh, cases to protect it? uh, Nope. No, I don't. I I found every case I've ever had has been completely useless or too bulky and it won't fit in my pocket. So uh, I'm going caseless for this one. Going on natural. Yeah, you know. (laughs) <laughs> fucking starting a new trend over here. <laughs> right on. Yeah, but I'm doing well, man. What have you uh, gotten into lately? Anything cool? Like any, uh, any cool know. books or movies or anything? Uh, aside from this weird Voivod kick I've been on lately, <laughs> um, I haven't been watching that much. Just uh, just a few things. Uh, but as you know, the... Uh, as of the, this taping, the Super Bowl was yesterday. I don't know if you're a sports fan at all. No, I well, I, I mean, I like I like watching fights and stuff like that, but I don't, and I haven't watched the football in, in quite a while. Right, you mean professional fights? Not like you're you're not looking out the window looking at fucking two guys just duking it out over a parking space, right? I like watching those too sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a big football guy. Uh, I used to be when I was a kid. And, you know, I kind of got into punk and music and all that stuff and sports and all that took a took a back seat. And uh, when ISIS broke up and I wasn't on the road all the time, I could devote you know time to watch a season again of football. So I got kind of back into it. And the Super Bowl is like, you know, Christmas for football fans. So uh, it's always a fun day for me. I used to have a bunch of friends over every year. And, you know, have a big party. But obviously, COVID and age has changed all that. Uh, it was just a small thing with my girlfriend and my longtime friend, Chris. And, um, yeah, just watching the game. I, you know, I usually uh, make fun of the halftime show. But this time, I actually kind of enjoyed it, which, again, shows my age. Because it was, like, you know, uh, Gen X rappers, you know, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. Oh, no shit. And Eminem, yeah, they all came out and. And, uh, you know, it's kind of entertaining. If, if you're the right age, I'm sure if you're in your 20s, you probably couldn't give a fuck. But I enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, of course, there won't be any football until uh, till, uh, early September or so. So uh, always a little sad to, to, to see the last game of the year. But so uh, so that's what I did yesterday. Other than that, uh, checked out couple things uh i finally saw nightmare alley something i've been meaning to get to for a while have you seen this yet no man i i really want to see that as well for sure hmm well maybe i should save my thoughts on it maybe we'll end up talking about it someday i was gonna try to watch it this past weekend but i just um i got distracted by too many other things going on you got to carve out some time for that it's 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 long right yeah it's like two and a half hours and I'll say this, Guillermo del Toro, as a director and producer, so we're going to talk about one of his movies shortly yeah. that he produced, uh, he's very hit, hit or miss for me. I don't know how you feel, though. 
I can agree with that statement. I don't. I don't love everything that he's done, but I like a lot of the things that he's done. Yeah, I like love. I'd say he's made maybe like two or three that I love, and maybe two or three that I really, really hated. Um, and everything else has been, you know, fine. Um, so yeah, when 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 you watch that, we we should we should talk about that one because it's definitely a something I wouldn't mind giving another view. Yeah, yeah uh, totally. Yeah, I mean, it, it's come up actually with a lot of people that have been, you know, recommending that to me and, and uh, they're like, oh, you should talk about it on the podcast. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's let's do it then. Yeah, we should. And there's a black and white version of it too, apparently. I don't know if it's been released yet though, but huh. I know like he screened a black and white version and uh, I love black and white. I think like if you make any movie like a black and white version i'll probably almost always prefer that unless it's like you know nicholas wine and Refn or, or you know denny villeneuve or something like that but you know if you're doing like some kind of horror movie black and white is i, I i'm always gonna like that well specifically yeah. uh the mist as a black and white film really worked yeah i mean it, it made it so much better and, and covered up the you know, the shoddy effects a little bit better too. Like I saw that in the theater and I remember I loved it, but I just, you know, I was like, yeah, the effects were kind of bad, but whatever. And the black and white version is just perfect. Um, I know that's his preferred version, uh, Frank Darabont's preferred version of that movie uh, and, and really wanted it released in theaters in black and white, but studio said no. I mean, I, I think they already gave him enough leeway with that ending. So <laughs> they were the, like, you want the, that ending? No black and white. The ending is even, is the ending is different than the short story. The short story actually has like some kind of hope with it. You know what I mean? Like it's not so dark. Right. Yeah. It's sort of, it just sort of ends and maybe there's something spoilers for the, the, the mist if you haven't read it, but yeah, it just sort of ends ambiguously and, I guess sometimes that doesn't quite work for uh, for a movie. You need like a big punch of an ending, sort of like the novel Jaws. The shark just sort of dies. They just kind of kill it. it. Doesn't explode or anything. But like you know, for a movie, <laughs> you need a big ending. The shark's got to fucking you know explode, and you need like a big ending. Like you know, what what, what works on the pages doesn't always work on the screen. So. Yeah, uh, but he, he went out fucking hard though, man. In 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 the mist, you know what I mean? That was yeah. like a hard ending, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 I alternate between loving it and hating it. Like it's just so unearned and mean spirited and out of character. And I love it and hate it at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. Um, the only other thing I'll mention is uh, I've been rewatching a show that I've already seen and almost completely forgot about. So it's kind of like watching it for the first time. It was a Cinemax show, the show called Banshee. Oh, heard of dude, it? I love that show, man. <laughs> me, me and Mike have talked about this before, man. It's such a great show. I think if Axe Body Spray was a TV show, it would be Banshee. Yeah, really. <laughs> like, it's so, like, macho. It's all naked chicks and guys fighting and fucking. That's, yeah. like, the whole show. No, it's great. It's got all the stuff I love in it, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, it's almost it's like a western too. You know, like the the whole like the way the storyline is almost like a western. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Like, yeah, it's completely unbelievable and ludicrous and over the top. But I can't stop watching it. Yeah, it, nah, it's just love it. yeah, 
Uh, most people don't even know it exists. Like, Cinemax wasn't known for their original programming. This was back in, I think, 2013 when the show aired. Cinemax doesn't even exist anymore. It's all that stuff's on HBO Max now. Right, that's how I'm watching it. Yeah. The guy that plays the main character is the Homelander in The Boys. Yeah, like, I was, I was wondering, I was like, I don't remember seeing this guy in anything other than this. And then uh, someone mentioned to me he was on that show, and uh, I haven't seen that. Uh, same with the guy who played, plays, like, the big bad of the show, Kai Proctor. Oh, yeah, great. yeah, that guy rules, yeah. But I, I don't recall ever seeing him in anything. Yeah, I haven't seen him either. Yeah. Um, Actually, I don't think anyone else in that show besides the dude who's in The Boys have, have I. Oh, no, no, that's not true. The, um, the, the niece, right? The young oh, girl. True Detective, She was right? a True Detective, yeah. She was, yeah. yeah. And, of course, the guy who plays Sugar was in Coming to America. Yes. And in a bunch of shit in the 80s. And also the guy who plays uh, Errol. Or, oh, what the hell is his name, man? One of one of the, the the meth cooker in in True Detective is his name. Errol? Ah, he's plays yeah. he plays like this uh, one of those Amish dudes. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a bit a few bit parts where people, yeah, like the British guy. I think he's an MMA fighter. One he shows up for like one episode. The British and guy. Yeah, he's a British guy. He came to kill kill the kid or something. Take the kid back. Who's like, um. God, I mean, how would I even begin to explain it? It would take like explaining the whole show. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I'd have to like look. I would, I would yeah, probably, I probably you... would recognize him actually. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, I figured you would know who it is, but like, yeah, it, it, if you can enjoy a completely absurd, uh, possibly problematic by today's standards show, then then it's for, yeah, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of fun, it's enjoyable to watch an episode or two, and then go to bed. You know, and honestly, the show was a little bit ahead of its time because it had a, a trans-esque character in it. That's true. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't even uh, didn't even blink uh, an eye. He's part of, like, yeah, he's part of the main character's, like, crew of uh, thieves. And, and a black guy, too. He, there's, like, uh, you know, so I, I don't know about being problematic. You got yeah, okay. some diversity. There's Asian people. There's, there's white people. And, and there's a black guy. All working together. All working effortlessly together. <laughs> yeah. diverse. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I think we solved all of today's problems, Mike. Yeah. Just go watch Banshee. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, yeah, if you have HBO Max, it's four seasons. And like I said, it's a lot of fun. You can kind of laugh at how absurd it is. And if you're a fan of good fight choreography, there's uh, plenty of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I am a fan of that stuff. Uh, what about you, man? What you been getting into? Well, um, I watched a f movie that uh, Rennie recommended called Observance. Okay. Observance? Yeah. And it, it's a film I actually have seen before. Because I remember he sent me the trailer. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I want to say I've seen this, but I, I don't know if I've actually seen this movie. But I did, in fact, see it once before. And it's actually really good. It's like super low-key. Um, yeah, it's like a weird story, you know, it's got like that kind of, uh, Ligotti kind of thing where there's, uh, hmm. there's like some kind of manipulation going on. Um, okay. like someone is, is being placed 
manipulated to to see something and and you know it's like that it's like almost like I don't want to say it's anything like this film, but you know how like Kill List has this this kind of manipulation going on through the whole thing. Oh yeah, sure. So like Observance is similar only in that respect. Like it's not nearly as good as uh, as Kill List, but it's in that same mm. sort of flavor, you know. Yeah, well, a few things are as good as Kill List. Yeah, and um, cool. I hate. Yeah, you know, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I'm watching you know the final season of The Walking Dead too. Oh, no shame in that. I mean, we were just talking about it last night. I can't believe the show's still on. I mean, I, I stopped around season five or six. Not, I mean, it wasn't like, I never thought it was a terrible show. It just, by nature, it was very repetitive. And, you know, they build a new society only for someone, some evil human to come and challenge them. And eventually everything gets ruined and they got to start all over again. That's pretty much The Walking Dead in a nutshell. Yeah, I I was a huge fan of the comics and um, yeah, the early show I thought was great, you know. And then it definitely fell off. But I I'm I'm like, man, I got to see it, see it through to the bitter end, you know. I think one day I'll do that. Like, just do like a complete like one because I haven't rewatched any of the seasons I'd already seen. Like I said, I think I think when Negan entered the pictures when I checked out. Uh, which is right around when I checked out in the comics as well. Are, are the comics still going, or is that no? Done? They ended the comics like uh, a couple of years ago at this point. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, I have to ask you off air how that ended because uh, I, I, I probably won't go back and and read those. At one point, I had so many Walking Dead books, but and again, it just by nature I found it just kind of repetitive and kind of got old for me. I sold my but... entire collection actually. Oh really? Yeah, I got pretty decent amount of money for it so how is this season it's the same you know it's it's, yeah. it's like it's fine <laughs> you know it's it's um entertaining you know they got like a different group of maniacs that are they got to fight you know that kind of thing you know right yeah and it's tired uh, it's tired you know what i mean it's it's like it's not bad it's tired you know mm. and but i just you know i gotta see it to the end man it's like a it. Showtime show where it's like a cool idea that outlived its welcome yeah. many seasons ago, but it's somehow still on. Exactly. It's exactly like, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's anything. You take something good, gets a lot of readings, you hammer it into the ground until it's awful. Happens all the time. There's a show called uh, Raised by Wolves, which is in its yeah. start of the second season, and I've been watching that as well. You were like the fifth person to tell me they're watching it, and... Again, kind of a mixed uh, thing I'm hearing from people. Some people are saying it's incredible, and others, not so much. I love it. The first season was great. Uh, the second season kind of got off to a sh shaky start, in my opinion. But I have, I'm confident mm. that it's going to come around. Cool. And that's Ridley Scott? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, th I, I think he's involved why. in that somehow. He might be. Yeah, you, know, you caught me flat-footed on that, man. I'm surprised I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I I wasn't going to mention it because I didn't think it was relevant. But speaking <laughs> of Ridley Scott, I watched uh, House of Gucci. I have to see that, man. I want to check that out. I don't think you do. I don't think you do have to see it. Oh, really? A lot of people yeah, told me I, it was good. They're wrong. All right, okay. <laughs> um, well, you might like it. I, I found it. Uh, tedious and hilarious when I don't think it was supposed to be hilarious. Like Al Pacino is just awful in it. I, everyone is just overacting like crazy. Lady Gaga is giving in her best, but I mean, you just have like just 
seeing these Americans in movies, hey, mama mia, type accents, like, it, it's just really fucking absurd. Um, and it goes on forever. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was like, it was like three hours long, I think. It just wouldn't end. Um, Ridley Scott's interesting, too. Like, you know, this is his second movie that came out this year, The Last Duel. I just saw this a few months ago in the, in, in the theater. And, you know, just you know, a couple months later, he's got a, another movie. Um, he's made so many great films, but he's also made so many bad movies. He's, like, been around so long, but he's not quite an auteur. Yet there's no signature... Ridley Scott shot or like signature themes that he works with. He just makes movies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I can see that. Like, it's weird that a guy like that can make like classics like Blade Runner and Alien uh, and yet just make something like just, just so like, you know, some bland throwaway spy movie from like the early 2000s. You know, like I, I can't even think of the name, but he's made he's made more movies that I've seen just kind of shrugged at. Than like seen and then like wow that was that was pretty amazing. So aside from those things, I just I've been reading a lot. You know, I've been actually going on these big rereads of stuff. Um, oh great! Yeah, like I technically it's not a reread, but I there's a um, collection of Robert E. Howard uh, stories that were presented as the uh, Robert E. Howard Cthulhu Tales, but. It's. Uh, I bought this book mostly because it has a cool cover, and uh, <laughs> I would say about half of the stories I'd read before. And oh, okay. uh, it's like it has like a Shadow Kingdom by um, the uh, the King Cull stories in there. Uh, you know, it's like Worms of the Earth, like all the stuff I've already seen before. I've already uh, uh, read before, but there's some stuff right. that I haven't read, so I'm re- rereading that and reading new shit in there. Um, I reread uh, Ex Oblivion. And the music of Eric Zahn by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft recently. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Ex Oblivion is probably my favorite Lovecraft story. Really? It's yeah. It's just about fucking what lies beyond this mortal coil, man. You know, it's it's just like a pretty heavy, heavy, sh- very short. I think it's only like four, three or four pages long. Wow. Yeah. That's and, a great uh, pick. Oh yeah, man. And um, and then uh. I know you're going to appreciate this. Uh, Purity by Thomas Ligotti. Absolutely. I, you know, I was just listening to a, a, a podcast where uh, I thought they were going to read the story, but they're more or less breaking it down huh. and explaining it. Sort of like a review nice. of, uh, of Thomas Ligotti's story, which I think is probably a pretty useful thing because his writing can get uh, – can get pretty dense. Yes, absolutely. That that's where he. That's another way that he's similar to Lovecraft. Is that um, it's very dense reading. But purity is an interesting story too because it's not kind of the Legati you you know. It, it deals with different things in Legati. I, I feel like that is a story of a writer finding his voice. It, it has that um, ir- irony that Ligotti that I've, I've grown to love with his writing, you know? Yes. And, yes. uh, and that's very front and center in that story. And, uh, it's, um, when he goes into the, like just these blighted urban darkness is what I, what I, I like him best when he's doing that style. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in there. Yeah, totally. 
And uh, do I remember there's like a ghost and a hermaphrodite? Is that even a word you're, you're allowed to say anymore? I don't, I don't uh, know. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it that there there is a hermaphrodite. Um, there's like uh, child abuse, you know, which is like a, another you know subject that he covered that in the frolic, you know, like mm. uh, perverts and stuff like that. Now you know yes. what's funny? I bring this up is because like people talk about Thomas Ligotti and they talk about True Detective and all that and. I feel like this is a story that Pizzolatto might have read that could have inspired him to with some of the atmosphere in True Detective. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that that story goes down a little bit easier, like than some of his more challenging work. And yeah, I can see that like inspiring a guy who would write True True Detective for sure. Yeah, I, I see that. Well, that's great. Um, you know, I did a solo project years back called Crone, and uh, a lot of my temp song titles were Legati uh, short story titles, and Purity was one of them because I, I had just read that story and was really taken by it. But I knew it wouldn't make a good song title, but it was on. I was like, yeah, you know, that's what I'm going to call it for now. Why don't, why, why don't you tell us about this uh, this record, man? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now <laughs> would be uh, like a good chance. Maybe you can like you know, interest some people in this thing. Well, yeah, if you're listening, you might know I used to play in, in a band called ISIS. Um, and uh, when we did our farewell tour, we ended in, um, uh, what fuck, where did we end? Montreal. And we took a, we went back to Boston. And from Boston, I went up to New York and was going to make some music with my friend John Lamacchia from the camp band Candiria. And while only a couple of those ideas I ended up using, uh, that was the foundation of the, this Crone thing uh, uh, that, that I decided to call it. Uh, I always wanted to do an ambient record. Uh, it's music that I love. And I think putting sounds together that are pleasing is something I'm pretty good at or decent at. And with the band breaking up and having a bunch of time on my hands, I thought, well, now's a good time. Uh, so I did it. And it came out on Translations Lost and uh, on CD. And now here, 10 years later, uh, they'll be doing the vinyl and should be coming out sometime in uh, 2022. Nice. That's awesome. And yeah, man, thank you. Uh, I listened to the test press yesterday uh, and I hadn't listened to it in a long time. And I mean, you know what, what it's like. You don't really go back and listen to your own records very often, no, if ever. Absolutely. Not, yeah. Man. Yeah. You hear them enough once they're mixed and mastered, and you're really excited about it for like a couple of weeks, and then you never listen to it again. <laughs> and uh, so it's been been a while, uh, and uh, I was I was fully expected to to put it on and be horrified, and I was pleasantly surprised that I still really like it, still really proud of it. Uh, there's still a part of me that wants to do another one, and you know this is strictly a selfish endeavor. It's not something that a lot of people are ever going to enjoy but i enjoy it and the process of making that record was sort of enjoyable um it was frustrating it was a lot of you know just kind of making it up as i went along and uh you know if i had like 10 ideas for the day for one track and maybe two of those ideas what i would keep or maybe one or maybe none um it was fun i wouldn't mind uh trying that again uh, and if I find myself with uh, a lot of time on my hands in the future, maybe I will. 
I think you should, so, man. I think totally. Thank you. Yeah. I think you should. For the, for the five people who really appreciated that record, yeah, they'll be they'll be happy to hear that. Because I do every once in a while get like a message on social media uh, from someone saying that they really like that record. It usually starts with I was really fucked up on you know mushrooms or <laughs> I was uh, I got really stoned and yeah that's fine that's great whatever floats your boat. But uh, I'm excited that it's coming out on vinyl. I really am. Like, I, I, uh, the, there's new artwork. I think looks looks great. Um, I'm excited about this. And uh, if it's the last thing with my name on it to ever come out, then uh, you know I'm okay with that. Ending on a good note. Well, that's awesome, dude. And I, well, I, I definitely encourage you to do more. Yeah, you know, well, you know, thank you. If you're a fan of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, my goal was to create that kind of atmosphere with sound. Like, like, what would a Thomas Agata story sound like? You know, like, what would it be like to walk through, like, one of his cities and his stories? Like, there was a lot of that. I was also watching a lot of Terrence Malick films at the time, so there's these uplifting parts to it. Sort of like a yin and a yang. Life is beautiful and everything is a, this great mystery, but also everything's kind of terrible and dark, you know? That would be great if that, if you, you know, everyone wants to make film scores, but that would be sick if someone used that in a film. Yeah. I mean, all someone has to do is get in contact with me. I'd probably just say, yeah, you can have it. You know, do it cheap. Unless, you know, yeah, you know, I work for cheap. You know what I'm saying? A couple million. <laughs> couple mil <laughs> couple mil um so yeah um so you want to talk about the movie we uh yeah let's get into this we movie we, we fucking spent like <laughs> an hour talking about all, all this other bullshit but yeah all right so uh antlers antlers uh, came out last year 2021 uh you know october 11th directed mm -hmm. by scott cooper who uh actually directed some some movies that i thought were cool out of the furnace you ever see that one yeah i think i don't want to take credit here but i think i recommended that one to you not so fast <laughs> you have you have recommended films to me but not that was not one of them i i saw oh, that okay. one like like uh i remember renting it like on dvd like back in like when it came out and uh that's a seriously underrated movie i think it's great yeah the guy that used to run, um, well, there used to be a great video store in Greenpoint um, called Photoplay, and mm. the guy who owned it recommended that movie to me, and I took it home and watched it, so yeah. Okay. But you and I, I have talked about. about it, though, so yeah. Okay. And he, I, also, yeah. Um, he also did Black Mass, too, which, you know, that was, that was fairly good. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Uh, screenplay by C. C. Henry Chesson. Nick Antosca and Scott Cooper, you know, the director, based on a, uh, a novel called The Quiet Boy by Nick Antosca. And this was produced by um, primarily by Guillermo del Toro, who is, yes. uh, you know, I uh, don't love all of his films, but I, I like a lot of his films, you know. I do see his fingerprints in this. Sure. As a producer. Like, uh, it's like he came to set one day and he said, I need more glowing ash floating around. <laughs> yeah, there were definitely uh, these strains of, of, um, of, of his, you know, his imprint on this for sure. 
for sure. Yeah. And also, you know, Del Toro has this thing with like with with kids too. You know. Yeah, I was, I was going to point that out too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I, I can totally see this starting as something that he wanted to get made, but not necessarily direct. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into a little some of the plot points, I guess we'll run run down the. Um, Real quick, some of the main players in this thing. We have Carrie Russell. Uh, she stars as Julia Meadows, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. She looks familiar, but I don't know where I've seen her. Uh, she's been in a bunch of stuff, yeah. and I can't think of one thing she's been in right now. But she's been in a bunch of stuff. Jesse Plemons, who um, he play he plays her uh, her brother, who is the mm-hmm. you know the the sheriff in this small Oregon town that they grew up in. And uh, Jesse Plemons has shown up in a bunch of things. He's a very uh, recognizable guy. Um, what comes to mind yeah. right at the moment was uh, Breaking Bad. You know, he was in this white power group in there. Yeah, yeah. And he was just a kid back then. And, like, now he's, you know, the sheriff in movies. And where he was just a kind of naive, stupid kid back then. And doesn't even feel like Breaking Bad was that long ago. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, but it was a long time ago at this point. Yeah, you know? it's like 12 years now. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy T. Thomas as Lucas Weaver. Graham Greene as Warren Stokes. Scott Hayes as Frank Weaver. Rory Cochran as Dan LaCroix. Mm-hmm. Amy Madigan as Ellen Booth. Oh, okay. Amy Madigan. I, I didn't even recognize her in this. Yeah. Who is she? Is she the guidance counselor yeah. or principal yeah. or what? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Sawyer Jones is Aiden Weaver. That's basically the the main crux of the storyline here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this the story is basically about a young kid abandoned. It seems to be seem seemingly abandoned, living in this uh, traumatic house uh, home life. And um, Carrie Russell's character, Julia Meadows, is the you know she's returning back to the town that she grew up in to live in the house that she lit she grew up in, and she's living with her brother, played by Jesse Plemons. And uh, you know it's they also hint at uh, her going through some abuse when she was growing up too. They don't explicitly show it, but you get the sense that their father abused her when they were kids. Yeah, I think there might be maybe like one scene or two of her as a kid, but and just showing like the father being kind of creepy. So yeah, it's not outright shown, but it is definitely heavily suggested. And you know, I I found that to be a little refreshing. You know what I mean? Rather than dwelling on that aspect of the story. Yeah, for a movie as grim and 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 dour feeling as this like that's the the one the one place where it really could have gone hard and didn't and you're right i I completely appreciate it sometimes hinting at something is is really all you need yeah so she's back at in her hometown she's a teacher uh the the hometown is some small oregon really small town that looks to be filled with uh meth heads and people that (laughs) are out of work (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm kidding everyone who's listening in Oregon. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, that's a pretty accurate description of the town, though. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of nail that Northwestern dreariness in this film, wouldn't you say? Oh, dude. 
Um, that's one thing Scott Cooper is, is so good at. If you've seen his movies, I hate it when people say, well, New York City is really a character in the movie. But I really got to say, like, for his movies, like, where they take place are... And are, are, are part of it. Like, if you set this film in Los Angeles, it, it doesn't work. It has to be this dreary, foggy setting. And those are some of the best shots in the movie, just like sort of establishing shots of where they are, them driving, someone walking. Those, to me, were like the most enjoyable parts of the movie. They, Scott Cooper absolutely nailed the atmosphere of this. No question about it. Yeah, and, and similar to Out of the Furnace, which takes place in another, you know, small town, like poor small town. It's it's uh this film is kind of like a meditation on that small town life, that depression, the uh the lack of work, the lack of um ambition, you know, the the sort of failed American dreams. Uh that's these those two these two films are similar in that way. Yeah, they are. Although this one is more plot driven, I think it could have used more of an out of the furnace sort of style of filmmaking, where, where uh, instead of following this like sort of like plotted out kind of generic horror movie, um, not to spoil uh, my thoughts on the movie early, but I, I already did talk about this movie uh, uh, on the podcast before, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, I went to see this in the theater. And I was a little underwhelmed by it, and but I was looking forward to seeing it again, see if maybe something new would reveal itself to me, or uh, or not. But uh, you know, get into that later. Yeah. So essentially, what what this is about is we got this kid. He's living in some decrepit house out on the edge of town, and his father and brother are uh sick and uh locked up in a room for their own safety and for his own safety and the kid is like this outsider none of the other kids like him he's very quiet yeah. you know he's getting gets picked on one of the most powerful moments for him was when the, the storytelling part of the of the of the of the movie where uh the teacher you know they're talking about storytelling you know and and hmm. They, she asked him to tell a story. <laughs> his story is about how his father has like black insides and he's sick and all this stuff. And I was like, "Damn, man!" It's like very, um, yeah. It just it just touches on a lot of that literature that I like reading. You know, where, where yeah. there's this like elemental vibe to what his father is is becoming, or he has succumbed to some kind of illness. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the better moments of the movie that, that really works. Um, it's also, you should know that the kid can't read or write, so he's telling the story through pictures. Yeah. And just reading what he drew, basically. And the drawings are effectively eerie and unsettling. And uh, the performance from Jeremy T. Thomas, I, I don't know if I've seen this kid in anything before, but Man, did they cast him perfectly? Well, I mean, he's this fucking young kid, man. So he's just the beginning of his career, you know. Like the kid's probably what, like maybe nine years old or something like that, ten years old. Yeah, maybe like ten, twelve. Yeah, I was gonna guess. Yeah, yeah. and you know, usually when you work with, you know, you see kids in horror movies, usually spells disaster. And uh, the acting, again, especially from him, is one of the stronger points of the movie. 
Yeah, he kind of, in my opinion, his performance kind of like it is the featured performance in this film, because yeah, yeah, he, yeah. In some Absolutely. ways, it's about him, really. Yeah, in some ways, yeah, and that's that's I guess maybe one of the problems I have with the movie. It's a little unfocused as to whose story this is, really. Um, right. Is it the kid's story? Is it the the the, the, the teacher that takes a shine to him? Uh, and there's a Wendigo. <laughs> um, Something uh, I know you're really into uh, the idea of the Wendigo or stories about uh, Wendigo. Right? Am I right there in saying that? Yeah, yeah. There, there's the uh, Algernon Blackwood story, uh, Wendigo, <laughs> which, yeah. which is like, uh, you know, kind of like the definitive uh, weird fiction folk horror uh, story that was written back in like the 1800s. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I just, I like all that stuff, all the creepy, like, monsters out in the woods and werewolves and all that kind of stuff. And I guess the Wendigo, in some ways, is similar to a werewolf, you know. See, see that I didn't know. I wanted to ask you, is the Wendigo lore in this accurate? Whereas, like, if, if you get, you know, attacked by one, you become one. Or... You have to, it, 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 it's more involved, and they, they didn't get into this. It's, it's they kind of hinted at it with having to do with eating uh human flesh too right like similar to the vampire lore you know how like a vampire you say you get bit by a vampire um yeah you don't actually become a vampire until you feed you know right so the wendigo is kind of like unless until you cannibalize another person you don't fully become that thing oh interesting yeah the movie didn't really get into that i i wanted to say the movie starts off with a quote and the movie kind of doesn't give you what that quote says like it starts with a quote that says mother earth has been stripped of her life's blood um and that something is and, and a malevolent spirit has been awakened basically because of it well and that, yeah exactly that's not yeah. what this movie's really about no it's sort of hinted at and, and i kind of thought I, like i'd rather see that movie and that, and now we're getting into some of the shortcomings of the film. It's like, right? All right, obviously that would there was some intention in putting that quote in the beginning. All right, so when you you see that, you're like, okay, this movie's going to be about like, uh, you know, the, the Mother Earth revolting against humankind, you know, or something along those lines, you know, which, yeah. you know, which like the Wendigo is like an elemental spirit out in the woods, you know, so that kind of makes sense in a way. You know, it's like, uh, you know, First Nations, uh, Native American uh, folklore, you know. But uh, but it's also the Wendigo is, is a, you know, into cannibal and insatiable hunger and, and that kind of stuff, too. It's about all right. that. And so that's a little bit unfocused because you're not exactly sure why this person is being this is manifesting in, in this person, you know, in the father, you know. Right. It doesn't really make too much sense. I mean, um, and like I said, I think like if that was, you know, I saw that quote and knowing this is a Scott Cooper film, this is sort of going to be like, uh, you know, a, a movie about this deteriorating town and, and, and cutting down on the forests and it's going to be more about the people and it's not what it is at all. Instead, it's, it's sort of this unfocused, fairly routine horror movie that looks great but is overstuffed and too short oddly enough 
I wonder if uh, there's another cut of this film like that maybe will surface someday, you know what I mean? That kind of fleshes out some of these ideas a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like this is like a two-hour movie, like trapped in like a 95-minute movie and made by people who maybe don't understand horror and are just sort of like hitting the, the beats of it. But then again, you know, like Guillermo del Toro produced it. He knows horror pretty well. So yeah. I'm not quite sure... What went what wrong? Well, let's start like with I guess the, the the movie kind of also focuses on Carrie Russell's character Julia, and like you said, she's they kind of hint at this this trauma in her past, and um, they kind of develop that as a theme, but it's very undercooked. Like she develops an interest in this kid almost immediately, like uh, during her class. I think it's like. You know, he, he tells that story that you were talking about. He, he you know, he, he can't read. He's reading the pictures. She immediately right there, like, starts following him and taking an interest in him and taking him out for ice cream and then showing up at his house. She all, all of a sudden, just after, like, you know, one one story from the kid, and she's obsessed with him and knows that she's going, he's going through something traumatic like she did. I thought it was a bit forced and a bit rushed with, with I, that. I agree. 100% agree with that. I, I would go even one step further and say that, like, it, she didn't even really need to have trauma, you know what I mean, in, in order to be interested in what's going on with Lucas. You know, right, you yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, it would have been better, I think, if they developed, like, over a span of time, like, he's a quiet, he's a quiet kid, you know, he's sitting there at his desk, he's getting picked on. Right. Um, you know, maybe focus on him not, you know, with, with his lunchtime antics or whatever. And then then we hit the story told in pictures because he can't read <laughs> right then and there. That's en- w- more than enough for a teacher to take an interest in a kid, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the trauma angle would be great if it was more fleshed out and went somewhere. But, like, almost everything with her character, it goes nowhere. Like, there's a shot of her at a convenience store, and it shows her, like, looking at the liquor bottles. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, you get it. Like, she had a drinking problem at some point. Then you basically see that shot again where she goes to the liquor store with the intent to buy something but doesn't. So, so okay, now you got two scenes of her. So you think this is going to be a major part of her character, and it's never brought up again. Like if they had just did one scene, that real subtle, that would have been great. They didn't need to go back to the liquor store. I think. Yeah, it's sort of like in Mandy, how how Nicolas Cage. It's during the opening credits. He gets on a helicopter. Someone offers him a, offers him a, him a beer. He just sort of like a little disgustingly shakes his head at it. Yeah. And that's all you need. And that theme comes back again of him wrestling with his alcohol demons. Whereas here, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere. And I don't think anything with this character goes anywhere. It sets up a lot of things and doesn't knock any of them down. It never, you know, like her, there's some tension between her and her brother. She left the house that she was being abused in as soon as she could, leaving her brother behind. And now she's living with her brother again. And you think, okay, there's going to be some sort of conflict that needs to be resolved. But, you know, they just, nothing's there. They just sort of, kind of get along and you know just talk about routine things that have to do with the plot like none of that really went anywhere 
What I, I would have preferred if they delved more into um, Lucas and his and his his story and developed more of the folklore aspect of the Wendigo. I think so too, and it's interesting to point out that there's two writers. I wonder if this is like two different, completely different scripts that they just smashed together. Could be because that's sort of what it feels like. Like either tell the story of Lucas entirely from Lucas's point of view. Or like have it be about the teacher and about storytelling and about folklore and about how this town is dying and there might be this malevolent uh, uh, creature out in the woods. Uh, but the movie tries to be both and doesn't really succeed at any of it. I might try um, to read this book, man. Is it a book or a short oh, story? Actually, it's a short story. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it kind of feels like it. That a short story that's been padded out. I mean, because there were some interesting hints, like like Lucas's father, like, you know, he cooks meth, but he's kind of shown to be a decent guy as far as like a meth cooking, like cracked out asshole can be. <laughs> like it yeah. shows him joking with his kid, like, uh, you know, and then he like when he realizes what's happening to him, he protects his children from him, him by locking himself in, in this in the attic, which uh, which doesn't protect anyone from him <laughs> he feels that that's a, that's a failure but whatever um yeah this guy's like I, I don't know it was a little bit like kind of more interesting that he was like he did bad things but he didn't seem like a bad guy but again it's sort of like a nothing character and that's another problem with this movie it's sort of populated with these nothing characters that are there and everything that happens to them is completely predictable yeah the relationship between um Lucas, his father, and Aiden, his brother, I think would would have been more should have been more of the focus of the story, you know. Yeah, focus on them and the, uh, the Wendigo, yeah. and I, I think that could have been like like yeah, like I said, focus on on one or the other, but it kept going back and forth, and the the movie was just filled with bad decisions because you needed to get these characters together, or you needed like oh, it's a horror movie, someone has to die at this point. Because we've been meandering for their thirty minutes and nothing has happened. Pretty uh, good, uh, pretty good kills. I think there's some some decent gore in this movie. Yeah, to focus on the po like on the positive side, uh, the Wendigo creature, when it hints at it, it looks awesome. When you see like a leg here, a horn there, see it sort of in the background, but you don't get a really good look at it. I think it looks fantastic. Um, I think when you get a better look at it, it doesn't look quite as fantastic, but it's still not never like laugh out loud bad. Like the effects in this are, are, are pretty good. Yeah, I like the transformation part a lot. I thought that was cool. And because uh, it's like it gets to that point of no return where the all humanity is completely lost, you know, now it's like this insatiable um, elemental creature. See, I, yeah, I liked that too, but I was kind of more interested in like just having there be like a Wendigo out there. Like he becomes one by being attacked by one. So what happened to the one that attacked it? Oh, yeah, I could see. Yeah. Like it, it's just sort of gone. And, and by their own logic, there'd be like hundreds of these things running around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but whatever, like, yeah, you're right. The transformation scene is, is, is very cool. Um, and looks completely, uh, realistic. There's never like a roll your eyes. Jesus Christ. CGI sucks so bad moment. 
in this. The transformation scene is cool uh, for sure. It's one of the better aspects of the movie, along with the you know the, the cool atmosphere and the fog and all that. The one thing I didn't like about the creature effects though was the glowing. I didn't I didn't understand I didn't understand that really the glowing. I didn't either, and that again felt like a Guillermo del Toro touch. Like to to me, just like it needs to glow. <laughs> <laughs> Make it look more like Cronenberg-esque. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't, well, the, another, like, to that point, uh, there's a big exposition dump in this movie by another nothing character that's just sort of there. And I think I, you know who I'm talking. He's the ex-sheriff, I, I guess. I have that yeah. written down. Yeah, yeah, he, yep. He was the former sheriff. That's literally the only thing about this character, ex-sheriff who gives the big exposition dump. Other than that, there's no reason for him to be in this movie. You, you, there, it was like a post-it note. Someone's like, well, this is about a indigenous people folklore. We need like a Native American in this. So they're like scrambled to get one. And I like, quick, write him a scene where he, we explain everything you need to know about this creature and how to kill it, if you should need to. It was yeah, really that, bad. I thought that was definitely one of the low points of the film. You know what I mean? It, it was so heavy-handed, you know, the way that that happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like this, like, you know, the, the, the ex-sheriff happens to find a body. So he, he uh, and, you know, which brings him into the fold of our main cast of characters. And they're sitting around and he just, you know, says our people believe this. And and, uh, you know, and, and it just explains what it is. And that breaks the rule of horror for me. Don't don't explain too much. Just, just have it exist, and that'll make it much scarier. Actually, you know what? It's uh, one of the films that Mike talked. This, this reminds me of, um, of my heart won't stop unless you. My heart can't stop unless you tell it to. My heart won't beat unless you. Whatever the name of the mm. movie was. <laughs> that movie is a vampire film, but they never actually explain anything. You know what I mean? Right. Have you seen that? No, I still haven't seen that. That you should see. It's a good yeah, movie. I know. Yeah, I know. Excellent movie. And yeah, it's just it's so. Yeah, it, it, it is it now on Shutter. I think it is. I thought I, I saw it streaming somewhere. Cool. Yeah, definitely great, great, great movie. And it's um, it's there's things in it where you're like you get these little glimpses of like what it actually is. The only thing I have to say though is the Wendigo is a little bit obscure for some people. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so, sure. So I can see having some kind of exposition, but not, not in the ham-fisted way that they did it in this movie, though. Right, and not to the point where like, man, this is how you kill it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, hey, you well, think maybe we don't want to kill it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you never see that character again, and uh, that's too bad because um, this is in Graham Greene. He's he's a good actor. He he was a. Uh, I always remember him from Thunderheart. He was really good in that. Um, and he's just sort of wasted here. And again, like this, this movie exists of scenes of putting people together unnaturally. Like this is at some point, you know, bodies are piling up and you need all the main characters together. So for some reason, although her brother is the sheriff, she's accompanying him on police business. That would never happen. No, I, like, I always, would, that's always like a really, a real like faux pas when they do that in movies where there's like a cop and some weirdo like like you know um 
you know, in this case, the sister, someone who has no business being with the police actually is, is involved. Yeah, she offers nothing uh, to, to the police other than she claims to be an expert on, on trauma. Like, you know, there's that scene with her and the guidance counselor when she's like, hey, I think L- Lucas is, is going through some abuse. And she's like, take it from me someone who knows what they're talking about and it's like, well, you've only really known this kid as your student for doesn't really establish how long he's been a student, but it, it feels like not very long. And, uh, you know, and then, and then at some point Lucas is staying with the sister and the sheriff, which again was a huge stretch. I thought like to the point, like I was like, I, I'm just not buying any of this now. Yeah, I mean, a kid like that would have to go into some kind of like, you know, like deep, deep recovery, you know, therapy and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, he's he's obviously, you know, he's been through something traumatic. He's spitting this gibberish about this is another thing. Like, he seems to know everything his father, Wendigo, is going to do without them actually communicating. Like, they have some sort of psychic bond. Like, that's the only reason he would really know what was happening because it never shows them talking. Right? Like, you know, the father is going to come and he's going to do this and we're going to go and we're going to do that. And this is what's going to happen. But you're like, how does he know any of this? He's just assuming all of it. Yeah. I mean, they never really uh, clued us into that. If there any, if there was any kind of like, uh, you know, telepathic connection or anything. So that's what I like. It just feels like something was, like a lot was like missing like to connect these scenes and you it just felt like it moves from point to point to point without really ever like meditating on on any of it and for me none of it quite works i mean once you get all the characters together there's i guess sort of a climax to the movie but i i don't know about you but i thought it was very underwhelming and at the end i like it's like oh that's it it's over well you 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 knew how the movie was going to end from the the moment it started really you know like there was no um you know um surprises really you know what i mean yeah oh exactly yeah it was just sort of generic paint by the numbers horror movie and like it even sort of like you know has one of those like 80s slasher endings where like well is it really over we don't know and you know who knows i can see like a sequel to this with like a a fraction of the budget, none of the talent in front or behind the camera that goes like straight to Redbox or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Antlers Two. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like. Yeah. I, yeah, those are <laughs> like, always great, man. Yeah, it's like someone made it on their iPhone for like five hundred bucks. <laughs> it's like it's got like a new metal soundtrack, and it's like these like dudes are like they're all like shredded and stuff. You know, like it'd be awesome. Yeah, and like fucking like you know, like some fucking like you know like Tom Sizemore will be in it. Tom Sizemore, <laughs> he plays the sheriff. Yeah, 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 and like Eric Roberts, <laughs> these like totally like washed up once great actors. Like I, I can see something like that happening. But you know, watching this movie again, I was like, is anything new going to reveal itself to me? And I kind of felt the same. It was like the, the the potential for something great was there. You have a really talented cast. I mean, everyone is really good. Rory Cochran is, he's seen, he's been in a bunch of stuff. You know, he pops up in, he was in Oculus, uh, he was in Severance. He's a good actor. And he's good in this nothing part that he has as like the sheriff, as a deputy. It doesn't really get much to do 
other than like, hey, hey, Chi, I don't know what's going on here, you know? Like, he doesn't really have a whole lot to do. And then you have, you know, uh, um, Graham Greene, who, uh, great actor, and, you know, his scene is stupid, but he does a good job at, you know, you know doing it. And uh, the kid is great. Uh, Jesse Plemons is always great. Yeah, I like I him a lot, like the, actually. I like Jesse Plemons. Yeah, me too. What attracted this cast to this script, I wonder? It had to be the strength of the names Guillermo del Toro and, and, and Scott Cooper. Because I can't imagine someone reading this and being like, yeah, this is good. But, but also it's like, like I've, you know, obviously I've never acted in a movie or been involved in making a motion picture. But, but, um, but yeah. the, uh, the script, from what I've read about filmmaking, the script goes through a lot of different transformations. You yeah. Know? And maybe there is a good script somewhere, you know, and maybe there might even be like a potential for a good, a decent cut of this movie. Yeah. If anything, like, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League show, I remember like when people were talking about release the Snyder cut and I said, I can't imagine any version of this movie being any good. And then Zack Snyder, whose films I don't like, puts out a version that does just that puts out a, a version of the movie that's really good and who yeah maybe it could be like i'm like well i if the bones just aren't there for a great movie but here like maybe they are maybe like you know you add 20 minutes and we're watching something completely different you know maybe there's a cut where they even downplay um uh what's uh, the actress name uh carrie carrie russell's part you know or maybe trim that a little bit and beef up with what's going on with Lucas and his family. Yeah. And like, I guess, you know, it's supposed to like, there's no climax. Like I said, I guess like, you know, maybe like uh, her fight, like helping this kid is supposed to like thematically link in with like dealing with her own trauma. But yeah, again, it, it just didn't go anywhere. And uh, overall, I mean, I was pretty disappointed with this man. Like it's, it's, it's not terrible by any means like it's a very good looking movie to look at but it, it is just so by the book by the numbers and and just sort of over when it really feels like it needs to keep going i i uh didn't i i all right, all right I, let's see what i think about this this uh, well first of all how many stars do you give it uh, two and a half. Oh, okay I'm a little bit higher on the spectrum than you on this. I, I acknowledge all the shortcomings, okay, 100%. Mm. But there is, uh, there is a characteristic. There is something I found enjoyable about the movie, even though it had all these holds in it. And a lot of it had to do with just the atmosphere, the acting, um, the Wendigo itself, you know, the fact that they killed that kid, you know. Like, yeah, no, yeah, it went there. Didn't yeah, it show went it, there. But... Some kid gets like just just mangled in this movie too. Yeah, and he I'm deserved like, it. Yeah, and he deserved it too. And I was like, oh, respect. But, you know, all, yeah, all, all kids are little shits, yeah. <laughs> especially in horror movies. Yeah. Um. So I gave it a three five, three point five. Okay. I mean, I think we probably feel the same about. It. I'm not saying like don't see this movie; it's terrible because it's not terrible. I just don't think it's what it, it's not what I wanted it to be. Like I said, I'm more disappointed than it is a bad movie. It's a perfectly serviceable movie that will 
you know, kill 95 minutes of your life. But other than that, it just think you would have to just start from the beginning with the story, you know, keep the same director, keep the same atmosphere. Like I said, my favorite scene in the movie is, is the kid walking from school to the ice cream shop and showing like the town and it's how like dour and desperate it all feels like those are some of the better moments where like, I think it's a, uh, I think it's probably a drone shot at this point of like them towards the end of the movie when they're driving to the mines and the camera's sort of above the trees and the, and the, the scene is lit by the uh, the headlights of the truck. Now those are some just nice directorial touches and it's a great looking movie with just a, a piss poor unfocused story. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's yeah. like our also, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, also. There's a movie cliche in it that I absolutely hate. It's very small, but it's in like every movie. Any movie that takes place in a classroom, there'll be a scene where the where the bell rings and the teacher will shout out an assignment they need to know while everyone's leaving to go to their next <laughs> class. I fucking do that. I hate that. That never happens in real life, and yet it is in any movie that takes place in a school. That's true. Yeah. Like, like, don't forget to read chapter three. I want my paper papers in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just I had to point that out how much that annoys the living shit out of me. You know, disappointment, I guess, is a good term because um, it once again, it's a movie that is well within the things I'm interested in. You know, like I'm very, very much into this type of fiction and it just didn't go to the places I wanted it to go to. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I feel like, yeah, there, there is a good story to be told from this material. This just isn't it. It's just not quite there. And it's, it, it was, it was frustrating. Like I, I was really expecting this to be one of the better movies of, of, of the year. Or I was hoping it would be. And I just sort of forgot about it. Like, you know, like I saw, like when you said you wanted to talk about it, I was like, you definitely have to rewatch it because I just don't really remember much of what happened. You know, I got to say, man, I don't think anyone has really quite hit this style of, of movie yet. They, I don't really see a whole lot of 100% success with this these types of films. That's true. Uh, we should mention Larry Fessenden, the great Larry Fessenden, has made two Wendigo movies yeah. that are good. The last winter um, and uh and I, I think it's just called Wendigo. Uh I think you're right actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the last the, the last winter being if we're gonna talk about the three of these Wendigo movies, I think Last Winter is the best of the three and the most well realized and it sort of hits that um environmental touch that, that this one was like kind of hinted at, but that's sort of like the focus of last winter. Like they've upset the natural order of things and the Wendigo is here to make it right, basically. Well, yeah, and that's the quote, tying that back. The quote is setting that up and the film never delivers it, so, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, still, you know, I, I, I've read all kinds of different reactions to this one, people who who really liked it. I have, uh, I know someone who put it in their 10 best of the year, so, you know, there's this people, I guess, this movie was for someone, some people really liked it. Definitely not in my top 10 list, for sure. Definitely not there. Yeah. Definitely not a bottom 10 by, by a long stretch, but just sort of just sort of there. And 
you know, again, like if I'm flipping through the channels one day and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll watch just for, just for the, uh, you know, the, the, the shots of the town, uh, you know, the overhead shot of like, you know, the, the waterfront with the trees cut down, things like that. Like it's a great, great looking movie. I can't, I can't stress that enough. And Scott Cooper is still a director. I'll, I'll be interested in. I hope he does do another sort of thriller or horror movie. Uh, and hopefully he gets this one right because this one's just not quite there. You know who would be really good to make a film like this is the, is the uh, Benson and Moorhead. Yes, that's true. But, you know, Marvel has their hooks in them now. So they, uh, they're playing in the big sandbox now. Yeah, but they have, they have an independent film that's coming out uh, this year. They do. That's I'm really, really excited to see. Something, it's called Something in the Dirt. Yes, yes. I, 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 uh, I know someone who acted in it. I'm not sure that they're still in the movie, but I know they were in, involved in, in, a, in a scene or two. Man, you know, you uh, know yeah, all kinds of people, man. Dude, I'm Hollywood Jeff, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood Jeff. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to have that. See, I'm not going to have that sort of insider knowledge when I move to Austin. Texas Jeff. Texas Jeff, man. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't Uh, have the same ring. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, I am looking forward to that, too. And actually, uh, you know, again, the Super Bowl, uh, there was a preview for their their, their Marvel show. And I have to say, looks pretty good. Oh, man. Moon Knight's like the perfect character for them, really. Yeah, that's what you're saying. I mean, other than you mentioning it, I I don't didn't know anything about the character. Like, other than you're the only one I think I know that 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 of my friends that knows what the fuck it is. Yeah, Moon Knight's like. Uh, it would be real easy to say he's the uh, Marvel Batman, but that's not really accurate. Like he, true, he's like a caped crusader. Um, he's like the alter ego of uh, not, well, a rich person. But that mm-hmm. his his the the Moon Knight and the guy who is Moon Knight is actually has a split personality and he has like several personalities. Hmm. So Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, like there are all these different aspects to his his personality. To he's different, all these different people, and then the Moon Knight is another facet of who he is. So you know, leave it to Marvel to make. You know, I'm not talking about these days, but back in the day when they, in the late 70s, like when they were killing it with characters, you know, they, mm. of course they have like a really cool spin on, on a superhero like that, you know? Right. And, 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 and uh, good hiring, you know, Ben, like they're, they're going on a limb with Benson and Moorhead who are great filmmakers, but unproven in something as large scale as this. And, uh, I, you know, some people are disappointed when indie filmmakers jump to the big leagues. I personally like seeing like people with big visions finally get the money they need to bring that vision to life. Like, you know, like Christopher Nolan started making like, you know, just very small budget of movies. And now he's making like $200 million movies that don't make any sense. Like 10. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's cool that he gets to do that, you know? Well, you know, but Going back to Benson and Moorhead, they yes, they have this uh, Marvel, you know, Disney thing coming out, but they also have this indie film, which is like just stars the two of them again, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. It was filmed during the pandemic, and uh, I think a lot of indie filmmakers ended up putting themselves in the in the in their own movies just just because you had to keep such a small bubble. Uh, you know, obviously things have opened up a lot since then, but. Uh, 
very, very curious about that one. And Appar- I'm sure it'll be good. Uh, that- apparently, we're, we're, we might not have to wear masks any longer for in some places. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I saw like the in L.A. there even sometime in like late February, early March. Uh, I'll be in Texas next week where they never wore masks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, now would be the perfect time for me to get COVID. Like I went this whole fucking two years or whatever, not knowingly getting it. Um, so <laughs> we'll see. Fingers crossed. I'm going to start wearing a mask, but not, you know, not like one of these surgical masks. I'm just going to wear like, like a fucking kill list style mask. <laughs> I was going to wear like a cape and a cowl, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but with like shorts and a dead guy shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I said two and a half stars. You said three and a half, but I think we sort of feel similar about the movie yeah. and, you know, check it out. Like, uh, let us know what you think. All right, guys, take care, and I'll talk to you next week.
good show.